Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel. Quite honestly, I don't like these people. (laughs) (laughs) Pete Thamel. When you really look at the fundamental rot of Nebraska from an elite program in college football to just the, the embers of nostalgia that it is now, it is administrative neglect and poor decisions. With SI's Pat Forty. I don't like his mind goes <laughs> elsewhere or already is elsewhere or what, but it's like he has to get jerked back to focus on whatever was just asked. Like, huh? Oh, here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. I welcome the pod. And here I sound better this week for this episode. Uh, so let's get now. I don't want to hear from you, Pat. I don't want to hear from you. <laughs> well, reviews were in that it was our best pod ever because nobody could understand what you were saying. <laughs> Everybody wanted to know why you were, you know, locked in a bathroom or in a tunnel or whatever the case may have been. And I do have to say, I'm the one that always gets the tech jokes, right? That does the technophobe here. Nobody could hear Dan. Sometimes when we record, Pete's internet won't work and we have to stop and he has to redo it. Me? I'm dependable, baby. Let's I agree. ask Counselor Sullivan, see? I agree. There you uh, go. You just hexed yourself for like three years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. This will be remembered. This moment will be remembered, Pat. We should just get a few of the Yahoo IT people to come do like a 30 for 30 on the Pat 40 tenure at Yahoo. And now he just tortured. Every time you had to change your password, Pat like treated it like it was a new nuclear code. Uh, but I, you know what? That's another thing. I don't have to have my computer update in the middle of the podcast either. Like we got well. shut that down a, a couple one. times by old Yahoo computers. So Yeah. <laughs> well, let me just tell you something. I have a clear plan and vision for the future. <laughs> So doesn't Scott Frost out there in Lincoln, Nebraska. That's what we're hearing. <laughs> Pivot! Huh? May not be able to hear me, but uh, boy, can I run this show. Scott Frost is back. You know, Nebraska is bringing back their, their one-time quarterback and current coach. He is 15 and 27 in four seasons. Fourth consecutive losing season. No bowl. Uh, they are three and seven. They are one and six in the Big Ten. They have the worst recruiting class in the Big Ten currently. They have just nine commitments. Signing days in like five weeks. Plus side, all seven Nebraska losses have come by nine points or fewer this season. If there's something, best win is a loss. Some incredible stats I read out of the Omaha paper. Uh, Scott Frost has not beaten a team with a winning record in over three years. 
uh, basically just beating bad teams. Just, just absolutely nothing other than we don't get blown out to earn him a fifth year. But he's got a fifth year. You know, they restructured his uh, contract. This is all about loyalty. And then probably four dudes got fired underneath him. But uh, <laughs> Pat, your thoughts on the Cornhuskers signing up for uh, Scott Frost 5.0. <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, Nebraska football has become Duke. It's like they, they don't care anymore or they just are resigned to not being very good. I said in the column that the big red wave, the white flag. They're like, yeah. We're fine with losing seasons. We're good over here. No problem. As long as it's our guy, as long as it's a former Husker from the Tom Osborne area who's losing his ass off, we're fine with that. No problem. It's uh, it's just an amazing turn of events to me for a place that won 10 games, 11 games all the time. And then, we, you know, when um, uh, Bo Pelini won nine games every year, that wasn't good enough. Frank Solich. Frank Solich won a bunch. Not good enough. He Went ain't Nebraska enough. Title. Frank yeah. Solich ain't Nebraska enough. My God, he's a might as well be a, a stick of corn. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I mean, it is. It's 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 a combination of things. I think, guys, and I'd be interested to hear what you think. But it is a obviously a realization. Well, we can't just go out and get who we want. B, we don't want to spend twenty million to try to get somebody who's not just whoever we can get. And C. Yes, we are still going to cling to this ridiculous notion of he was a really good quarterback once, so he'll be a good coach eventually. It'll happen. Just one more year. Just give him that fifth year. I mean, I've seen him you know, refer to it. He's family, and we can't fire family. Well, that's why you never hire family to begin with, because your cousin Tommy may turn out to be a bum, and then it's hard to fire your cousin Tommy when he's a bum. Don't do business with family. Don't, Don't do business yeah. with family. You know, and hey, I'll, I will say in 2018 when they hired him, I thought it was a great fit. I thought it was a good hire. It's turned out to be a disastrous time. It's past time to realize, recognize, admit it, and change course, Nebraska. Unbelievable. Yeah, there's been some just, if you really look back at the last 20 years, there have just been some like administrative disaster. It's like, how do we get to the point where we're accepting that Scott Frost is approaching mediocrity? Here's the thing. He wasn't even mediocre. He's approaching mediocrity. You are keeping Scott Frost through four seats. So the, the school has gone to has failed to go to a bowl for five straight years. Scott Frost has failed to go to a bowl for all four of his seasons. The last time Nebraska didn't go to a bowl in back-to-back -back seasons was 67 and 68. So they basically doubled that streak. So it's like, how does this happen? Well, let's look back at some of the hires they've made. Well, they hired Steve Peterson as the athletic director mid-2000s. Like, you want to start, where, like, where does the spiral start? Well, the Steve Peterson hire was a pretty good place to start, like, dumping you down the lane. Tom Osborne is the AD. Tom Osborne did a good job. That was somewhat ceremonial, but you can't, I mean, the guy's a U.S. senator. Although, I guess the threshold for that with Coach Tuberville is a little lower, maybe, <laughs> than it should be, but... <laughs> Tom Osborne is a legend, you know, like, that. fine, you know. Sean Tom Eichler's, Osborne always looked like a U.S. senator, yeah, right? He did. Tommy yes. Tuberville never did. Yeah, no, it's no. interesting. Osborne, yeah. even when he was wearing those gigantic headphones in the seventies when they're yeah. beating everybody seventy to seven, uh, he still looked like, like a senator. Yeah, it's like I, I like that guy. I'll, I'll vote yeah. for that dude right there. <laughs> is he on? Tom is on. he on the headset with like the majority whip or something? <laughs> <laughs> so then we go to 
Sean Eichhorst, Unmitigated Disaster, Bill Moose. You know, if you had to do a top five worst athletic director hires in the last decade, Bill Moose is, I, I'm not going to say he's the worst because I'm sure we could sit around and think of someone who's been a bigger disaster. But Bill, Bill Moose, Fulmer. it was, it was, yeah, Phil Fulmer, that's true. Yeah, I guess we would give it to Phil Fulmer. I, <laughs> I think if you, yeah, but, if but you look Moose at the, is certainly in the photo finish. He's in the conversation. Yes, <laughs> there's no question. What is it, Tribox? Um, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> And Bill Moose was about to get run out at Washington State. And I remember when Nebraska hired him, it was just, I was floored that they hired this guy. I mean, just absolutely stunning. And the, the, it's like, how did we get here? Well, we got here because Bill Moose extended Scott Frost. If it was cheap to fire him, he would be gone. So that is like administrative malfeasance of the highest order. Like, I just think if you look back at like disastrous administrative decisions in the last decade in college athletics, the hiring of Bill Moose, so shame on the president, shame on the board, and then the extension of Scott Frost, which was, like, you want to talk about keeping him because he's the quarterback, extending him after, like, showing no empirical evidence of, like, a pathway to a future. Like, the best thing about Scott Frost, like, the, the best moment of his tenure was his hire. That was, like, the biggest win for Nebraska. We got him over Florida. Since then, there have been no tangible wins. Zero. None. Like, good, losses. Just, good, loss. yeah, good, good losses. Good losses. Good losses. Yes. Yes, they... This is a grand celebration of a series of really good losses. So now, like, is this going to work? Well, let's see. Which, like, dud young play caller wants to go to Nebraska right now and join the offensive staff there? I mean, they might as well do their job interviews on a plank with your tippy toes <laughs> on the end of the plank. Because that's basically, it's like, hey, come here for eight months. And if you avoid getting your face kicked in, like it's happened the last four years, you can stick around for a while. Like, it just, like, the, the pathway to this actually working is really, really foggy. But hey, we'll save money. I, I didn't see all Trev Albert's comments yesterday. Maybe if he overhauls the whole athletic department, like maybe if there's some bigger, grander vision here that I didn't hear about. I Like when Mike Bone didn't fire Clay Helton, it was going to be more than 20 million bucks. And he said, look, I don't even know what I have. And we need to like reboot the whole thing. So at that point, you're like, okay, Clay Helton's still going to be Clay Helton. He's not going to be great. He's not going to win a national title. You're not going to be particularly relevant. But you want to analyze and fix what's around him. That at least like makes common sense to me. This is just all sentimentality, nostalgia, and it really fits in line with two decades of horrible decision makings that have led to this point. I, I mean, you know, they cut his salary a million bucks, uh, reduce the buyout. So they'll save some money. Uh, they'll have a season. I don't know. Uh, the, the fact that there's nine recruits committed None of them are four stars. Like, it's not like you're sitting there going, look, I got this. Uh, I got the QB, right? I got Arch Manning to come up here or something like that, right? right? Like, yeah, we, 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 and we got, and he brought three receivers from Louisiana. And, you know, I don't know. There's nothing. I think Nebraska football is, it's about the past. It's about the experience. It's like just going to a show. It's it, the show <laughs> is the program. The balloons, the sellout, the red, the traditions. People just want to go, and whether you win or not, it's like going to see a a, a band on the you know the senior tour or whatever. Like, <laughs> are you just saying Nebraska's cats? Basically, like, yeah, going to see yeah. Sticks live on a yeah. reunion tour with Kiss and uh, Ario Speedwagon. Yeah, <laughs> are they are they as good as they were? No, but it's familiar, right? 
Yeah. Hold your lighter from- up while the Huskers run onto the field. <laughs> I can't listen to that new crap. I got to listen to the old crap or it's going to see the senior PGA and being like, hey, look at that guy. Guy was really good once. Yeah, there's you know. Hal Sutton. Yeah. Yeah. Look at Hal. I don't know. I, I mean, how? I mean, they everyone's giving Jim freaking Harbaugh hell. He's eight and one in like 40 games over 500. Yeah. This it, guy comparing these two things, they're yeah, not they're similar. Not comparable they're not at similar all. at all. He hasn't all. beaten a winning team in three years. What? No. So He's, the only games you beat are Illinois, which you lost to this year, and and whoever you paid to show up. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. You can't do worse. I, He's two and seventeen as an underdog. He doesn't beat anybody he's not supposed to, and they aren't supposed to beat many these days. So, you know, I mean, that's bad. And can I please say this about the close loss thing? Okay, legitimately true for Michigan and Michigan State. Had them both on the ropes. Couldn't finish the game. Ohio State, they were in the game, which which was a pretty good effort from them. Michigan or Minnesota was up two touchdowns and gave up a late doink touchdown to make it look close. Illinois was up 21 in the fourth quarter, gave up two doink touchdowns to make it look close. Purdue was up double digits in the fourth quarter, gave up a late touchdown. Oklahoma was up 14, gave up a late touchdown. So enough with the close law. Like it's insulting enough that the close loss is the theory, the theme, the, the justification, but it's really not even true other than a couple of times. And I think he should hire two special teams coordinators because, quite <laughs> frankly, the special teams have been so bad without one that you should Horrible. have, like, yes, you should. If that, to me, and it was so bad last year, like, he has learned nothing. And if there was a competent AD in before there, first of all, he wouldn't have let him take his whole staff. Bill Moose was asleep on the job from the start because any experienced AD in high-level football would have looked at that staff and said, maybe you need a couple guys who – been at a little bit higher level before. Maybe you need a little bit of local recruit. Maybe you need something. Maybe you need a special teams coach. Although I didn't think he had one for a brief period of time, Javon DeWitt. And then he left, went to North Carolina. And uh, Frost, who thinks he's smarter than everybody, thought he was too smart to need a special teams coach. And that's been a, that's been a disaster. But when you really look at the fundamental rot of Nebraska from an elite program in college football to just the the embers of nostalgia that it is now. It is administrative neglect and poor decisions. And Scott Frost's tenure has been horrifically managed. Now, is that because he's so stubborn and he had so much leverage that he just could take he decided he could take who he wants. But at some point early in this tenure, you had to foresee things not working. You actually had to see them not working because they've never worked. The fact that four staff changes are coming now, when really firing should be what happens, just shows you how twisted that place is and how backwards it is. And they've honestly gotten what they deserve. Well, this is the spot there uh, they are in. I just, you got, you have nine recruits at this stage. Like, where are you getting all these other guys? They're going to have to work the transfer portal and hope that works. She doesn't really seem like a Scott Frost kind of thing, but literally their best chance is to sit and watch these Mac games on Tuesday night and Wednesday night and try to take the best players because you're not getting any big time recruits are going to impact you. And so that's your best shot is to try to get better group of five guys to to give you a little boost. Older guys there. There's I really don't see a pathway out for them. No, they're not going to get good assistance. No one's going to want to jump in because it looks like a one year deal if you don't work. Most most of the players are either committed or on the you know they're down to their last couple picks. You know, like Penn State's got twenty five guys who committed. You, you, everybody's in over fifteen. Uh, you just can't wait that late. You, you, nine tells you no one wants to come. Three of them are from the state of Nebraska, so 
Like you got nothing going on. There's zero momentum. The 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 risk for Nebraska is this. He wins six games next year, which Nebraska should be the baseline for Nebraska. And then you go, oh no, we got to give him another year. Because he's going three and nine, probably. They're playing uh at Wisconsin, they get Iowa. So it's very likely you had him three and nine. I I don't know. I mean, you can do whatever you want with your program and not wasting money on buyouts has some sense, but Again, those four assistants you just fired. How do you find quality? Who's who's saying that's it, man? I'm a hot. I'm the hot assistant. I want to go to Nebraska, where I'm probably getting fired. Uh, yeah, their best chance from a staff standpoint is to get some guys that are good coaches that got fired, like a Sam Pittman who kept getting fired over and over uh, for a while earlier in his career, and, and maybe you cobble together some people that way. But you are going to be trying to coach up some pretty mediocre talent. You're losing a four-year starting quarterback, and Adrian Martinez had some good points and plenty of bad points, but he is a four-year starter. If the other guys were good enough, I think we would have seen something out of them by now. Uh, so you got a quarterback question mark for sure. You got a young stable of running backs, but they never have broken much of anything. Uh you know, I'm sure there will be players hitting the portal. Maybe you'll be, as Pete said, you're going to be trying to go get some guys from lower levels that you hope can step in. But, I mean, it's going to be major uphill. you got to play Oklahoma again. Oklahoma comes to you this time. Uh, they've got at Michigan uh, from the east. They don't have Ohio State next year. They've got Rutgers uh, from, from the east So and Indiana. It's a little bit easier that way, but still. You know, if if six wins is going to excite you, go ahead and keep him for a sixth year. I mean, who? I mean, what's the point of Nebraska football even talking about the past if they're going to settle for something so far below it? Yeah, well, that's the spot they're at. Apologize for Jim Harbaugh. He's got to have be wondering why he keeps getting compared to this. I mean, even Harbaugh last year had a five star quarterback coming in. Like, yeah, there's none of there isn't even a remote. Is there's no comparison yet? Somehow they're compared. Anyway, uh, no Texas- sleep till the quick lane bowl. 2022 yeah. Huskers. We got to get there. He gets six, then you got to keep him. And you're like, okay, great. That's uh, all right. Uh, Everybody Texas, in the West is like, keep up the great work, Nebraska. Even pathetic UMass fired in. their coach. Even UMass yes. fired. Yeah. Yes. Who knew we had one? <laughs> Texas Tech has got a coach. Baylor New England so United so- possibilities loom, by the way, with both open. Just, just drop that seed there. Texas Tech has a coach. Former Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire, a longtime high school coach in uh, the state of Texas. This is one hell of a Texan. He said he's going to, he's worked only four places his alma mater uh, at high school, another high school, Baylor, for five years. And now he's going to be buried. He's going to die at Texas Tech. That's what he said. Hopefully, after many years. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully, not soon. Yeah. Um, Checks over vaccinated, Joey. Yeah, let's not let's 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 get yourself uh, let's make it longer. But anyway, he uh, won three state titles in in Texas high school at Cedar Hill High. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Baylor, you know, I like I like getting a a guy who's got good high school. The the challenge always at Texas Tech is recruiting. So can you recruit and can you get a lot of guys? It's just it's hard. Again, they had Patrick Mahomes and they didn't win. So you can get some guys. There's a lot of there's a lot of Patrick Mahomeses out there. Uh, not a, quite Patrick, but some three star, multi sport guy who Texas thought should be a safety. Uh, although he's playing lately, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Mac is onto something. Um, 
don't know. There's a hot take. Move Patrick yeah. Mahomes to Mahomes safety. To defense. Uh, <laughs> next. If he becomes an all-pro, it's a sequel to your epic athletes. Mac Stephen Joe, A. Matt, Wetzel here just throwing the bombs. Mac Brown being like, oh, yes, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> I was right all along. Really, Rangy? Sally, Sally said he had fluid hips. We, we, we thought we thought he'd be, he'd be good on the boundary. He did play safety as a sophomore. He did actually play. Uh, you can read all about it. No, I'm like, yeah, um, there we go. <laughs> anyway, Pete, your thoughts on uh, Coach McGuire and the very, very fired up to be in Lubbock, with the LBBs making it home. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think there's certainly some inherent risk to hiring Joey McGuire, but the the model they want to do is to follow UTSA, who hired Jeff Trailer, longtime Texas high school coach, who has the Roadrunners undefeated and. Hopefully, after Tuesday night, ranked in the college football uh, playoff rankings because they were inexplicably omitted last week. The thought is, if you are one of these sort of Texas High School Association boldface names, you can not only hire a great staff of Texans, but you also can get the tip on the three-star who's going to become an all-league guy. Like, you're going to have the best information you're going to be able to find the sleepers. You're going to be able to look at through the nooks and crannies of the state, dig for the best players, and, and leverage those relationships as a, as a recruiting advantage. And that's what Joey McGuire does. Uh, I mean, the fact that he, like, started his press conference with basically starting a cheer. The Texas Tech brass who, who ran this search, Kirby Hocutt and Tony Hernandez, they wanted a Texas guy. They felt like their fan base needed someone who is a Texan. Matt Wells, who wasn't a terrible coach there. I mean, Scott Frost would wish to have Matt Wells' record this year, was never embraced and accepted by the fans in Lubbock. And so they wanted, that was like the criteria that they needed. They needed somebody with Wex, Texas, Bonafides, who would who would be able to connect with their fan base. And that's where we are in 2021. And Joey McGuire has done that and is doing that Will that translate to 10 and 2 seasons? We'll, we'll see, but that certainly was the core belief of what Texas Tech was looking at in this search. And, you know, they ended up with, I think, what will be one of the more interesting hires of 2022. This guy might be great, but that's like the strangest criteria. Fans want to win. Like, I mean, what is the ego of a fan? <laughs> Sit there and say, if I don't like him, like, what? It's like, like what, he's not one of us. Well, neither is Nick Saban. Uh, yeah, I mean, what Urban Meyer isn't it either? Were they taking it? I, I I understand it's true. I'm not saying you're wrong, but it's just such a bizarre. As if I'm a fan of a team, I don't care where the coach comes from. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't care less. It it, it 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 allows them to be excited from today uh, to signing day, and then we'll see how signing day goes, and then spring, and then August, and then rubber hits road, and then we'll see how much they like him. And they may like him a bunch. Maybe he does really well, but. If not, then it doesn't matter if he's one of them. Uh, then his boots are made for walking eventually. And as we've seen at Texas Tech, that could be pretty quick because they trapdoored Matt Wells in a hurry in the middle of a 5-3 and three season. My issue, I, I don't mean to sidetrack this here, but is with all of the continued just berserk stuff that's going on in the state of Texas this year, accelerating the hiring-firing cycle to the middle of the season – just continues to wreak havoc with people's seasons here. You know, I mean, we get rid of Matt Wells. We get rid of Gary Patterson. All of a sudden, Texas Tech has a new coach from within the conference with a team that's in the mix for the conference championship and until last weekend was in the mix for the college football playoff in Baylor. 
So you go get him off that staff. I don't, I can't say there is causal relationship between Baylor laying a monster egg against TCU and uh, Joey McGuire being a candidate and locking up this job and Dave Aranda possibly being a candidate at LSU and who knows where else. But I do know this. Baylor's defense has been really good and gave up 30 points and 460 passing yards to a freshman quarterback from TCU. Dave Aranda's a defensive guy. Joey McGuire coaches defense. Are they paying attention? Is their mind on their business or is their mind elsewhere? I can't say definitively, but if I were a fan of Baylor, I'd be like, what the hell, guys? Can we please keep the focus on the business right here at hand in front of us? SMU has laid two eggs in a row. Sonny Dykes is the hot name for TCU. Is he paying attention to SMU or is he thinking about TCU? Again, I don't know, but this is what happens when you move the hiring cycle into the middle of the season. Ignore the noise, kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the coach, my defensive coordinator just left. Like, what? <laughs> This this trend, and, and I, I wrote this for a column in Yahoo on Wednesday morning, uh, isn't going away. Like the firing your coach early to hire another coach to get him in place for the portal and early signing day. Plus, he gets to evaluate for a month, basically, his own team, right? And Tech could go to a bowl. So I really think the hiring cycle as we know it, it used to be everyone went to New York City, the Football Foundation, and interviewed people for jobs. It's like the haze in the bar and you go there and smoke cigars and, you know, sip some whiskey and hope your coach hire worked out because this this trend only makes sense. You give your coach a month head start and the portal is becoming such a huge part of how rosters are built. Plus, you if you can build relationships with your best players and prevent them from going to the portal, you just have a massive jump also on staffing, too. So I quoted Jared Benko, the Georgia Southern athletic director, is basically saying like, he sees this trend as something that really continues to perpetuate just because it makes a lot of sense. Well, it does make sense for this for next season and the season after, whatever. What about this season? I mean, like what you're telling Texas Tech told their players, we don't care if you're five and three. We don't care if you we don't care what happens to you guys. Nebraska. Now, yes, they have a losing record. If I'm a Nebraska player and I just watch them fire the entire offensive staff and we got an off week, you think I'm coming back? First of all, I'm not sure I'm coming back, period. But secondly, am I coming back with any enthusiasm to play Wisconsin and Iowa? I mean, TCU, we trapped door Gary Patterson. Yes, they did come back and play well for one game. But the play, the message to the players is, eh, you guys in this season that we made you, we wanted you all bought in all summer. We wanted you here lifting, working out together. And eh, nah, never mind. We don't care because we're changing coaches. Florida fired a couple coaches, none of them named Dan Mullen. Same thing. Uh, defensive coordinator and uh, offensive line coach are both out again. Like it's it's like a PR move now. Fire dudes, and uh, just that's it. It's PR. Get the get everyone off our head coach's bat. I I don't like. What are these guys doing? That's that bad. I just I just I I don't I don't like the forty points in South Carolina is pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just I, it, it, this is PR. This is PR. They're firing all the assistant coaches. Uh, okay, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. They don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, in other news at Florida, so Mullen's going to be back. You can count on that, uh, which we thought. QB Anthony Richardson was injured while dancing in a hotel, in the hotel. Somehow got injured. Kind of an oddball injury. More interesting to me than that is the fact that Dan Mullen actually confirmed the story. He tells me he's quite happy if there's a bunch of headlines about his Clown quarterback somehow hurting his knee <laughs> dancing in the hotel. Yeah. Dan Mullen doesn't like confirming and he's anything. Deflecting. Yes. Yeah. 
Are you playing Florida State in the final game of the year? Well, I can't confirm that. I we go one week at a time here, you know? I'm like, wow, he confirmed how a guy got injured. That's very non-Dan Mullen-like. So that tells me more than then there was actually a knee injury dancing. Pat, you're a noted uh, rug cutter there. You can really get after it. <laughs> have you ever been injured dancing? I have not. Uh, I, boy, I can't even remember the last time I danced, periods, which does definitely lessen the chance of injury if you don't do it. <laughs> I'm guessing Anthony Richardson was capable of doing uh, some maneuvers that the rest of this podcast were in a, we, we would have died if we tried whatever. <laughs> if he yeah, hurt he his knee. Front flips and back flips in the in the. Pre-game warm-ups, I don't think we can do that. If this guy and hurt now, his hey, knee, you know, we would have yes. been, yeah. I just can do it underwater. <laughs> <laughs> diving board, that's it. Yeah, uh, I can't uh, even do it off a diving board, just underwater. <laughs> yeah, so interesting confirmation. Not fired late, but suspended for uh, getting aggressive with his players. Jimmy Lake out in Washington. Uh, this is really a, quite, a, quite a week for coaches. Anyone still working? <laughs> this is what's happening in the, today's economy. No one wants to work. <laughs> Lake apologized, says he'll do better, and uh, reflect on all that's good about being a Washington Husky. Well, get your reflections in quick, Jimmy. You may not have that opportunity <laughs> for long. We'll see. Uh, that was probably, could see that one coming. That, uh, just touch on that briefly. That, that you know, the Pete's long national nightmare of having to watch John Donovan call plays is over. So we, we, we got that far. They fired him. Uh, but yeah, this, I think the next few weeks will be very important for Jimmy Lake. Um, he's suspended for this game against uh, Arizona State. Uh, and then he's got two more. If you lose the Apple Cup, uh, you may like lose Middle America. It may be, you know, it might be, might be over. It might be over anyway. I don't know. You know, I mean, it depend how how Jen Cohen feels about the uh, the state of things there. Cause it has not been, it was a really bad week last week, but it hadn't been a good season period. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a lot of optimism for the Jimmy Lake era um, having another season of uh, sail gating in it uh, next year at, uh, at Washington, because they don't have $10 million. That's obviously a lot of money for, for anyone, especially a PAC 12 school. Cause they're not getting uh, near the TV revenue of the SEC and the big 10. But it's mitigated. Jimmy Lake's going to get a job. He's a good defensive coach. Uh, if you're going to hire a competent offensive coordinator, you're going to have to give him a two-year, probably million-plus-dollar-year deal. You're going to have to fully guarantee it because if Jimmy Lake is brought back, he's brought back on a plank with a with a with a bayonet stuck in his chest. And so, the calculus that Jen Cohen has to do at Washington is: Do we try to revitalize the set? Do we try to save Jimmy Lake, who you know? Chris Peterson, remember, he demoted the D.C. to make Jimmy Lake the D.C. when others went after him. And then he stepped aside to promote Jimmy Lake again. And there's just been nothing about Jimmy Lake that's like Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson is this, like, paragon of calm and class. And did Chris Peterson, I mean, he may have said one or two controversial things during his time there. But for the most part, Chris Peterson was sort of, like, classy and bland. And, I mean, Jimmy Lake's had more tumult in one week than Chris Peterson had in his six, seven years as the, uh, as the head coach at, at Washington. So I just have a hard time sitting, seeing the Washington brass sit around and say, okay, like there's a path here for us to emerge in the, you know, as the leaders in the PAC 12 North. I just, uh, I'm, I am skeptical of that happening. I still can't believe you hired John Donovan, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> 
People think I've been critical of Nebraska. It's nothing compared to Pete running the truck back over the squirrel of John Donovan. I mean, it's unbelievable what this guy (laughs) apparently did to Pete at some point. I just I don't know. Well, at least our podcast listeners could could expect the drudgery that has been the the Washington offense. Yeah, you did call it. You called it. All right, let's get to uh, the the playoff chase and teams that are actually doing well and not firing anybody at the moment. Ohio State. So Ohio State has been very very interesting because uh, they lose o- early to Oregon, then they get hot. They they beat Penn State and then they don't really look great against Nebraska. There's been times they haven't been good. There's times they've been really good this year. C.J. Stroud, I think, also fits that definition. Their red shirt freshman quarterback. They got a great running game. This is a ton of potential. I think most people are looking and saying Ohio State's going to win the Big Ten, make the playoff, and so on. However, three straight now where they got to prove it. It's 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 time for the Buckeyes to 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 show they're still the Buckeyes. Because Purdue is showing up on Saturday. They are not going to be an easy out uh, that we may have thought earlier in the year. Michigan State follows the week after. And at the end of, a, uh, I think, a healthy three-week grind, you got to go to Michigan. Uh, any thoughts or concerns or what Ohio State's got to do uh, in these next three weeks? Kind of been able to just cruise along since the Oregon loss and look pretty good against a lot of, other than Penn State, Penn State's the best competition by far that they have faced since then. Well, it's it's time now, Pete. Well, they could lose all three of these games. Uh, I don't. I'm saying they're going to lose three in a row, but they have the, the all three opponents have the capability to beat Ohio State, and uh, that starts with Purdue. I, I certainly when you when you look at David Bell, uh, they don't exactly have like Marshawn Lattimore at corner right now to to shut down Bell. Uh, their secondaries let guys run open all year. And just remember what Purdue did and Jeff Brom did calling plays a few years ago to Ohio State when they had Rondell Moore. I mean, Jeff Brom is an elite play caller. He he constructed a symphony of picking apart Michigan State last Saturday. You know, when you do Jeff Brom versus Matt Barnes coaching his, you know, fifth game or whatever it is as Ohio State's defensive coordinator, uh, that's a mismatch. And so if I'm Ohio State, like this, this is not just some walk in the park against Maryland like they've had. This is a completely different different caliber of opponent. And then, obviously, the the two Michigan schools bring a smash-mouth component that's going to test the Buckeyes. Uh, Oregon, if you remember that game, there were a lot of facets, but they won both sides in the trenches. Like, that's really where Oregon won that game. Now, Joe Moorhead's play calling to the edges, certainly, and exploiting defensive uh, defensive holes, absolutely. But... That's where I would be concerned. There are vulnerabilities that Ohio State has that all three of these teams have the capability to exploit. So it is going to be a white, if, if Ohio State's going to continue and, and win the Big Ten East, it is going to be a white knuckle to the finish. Yeah, I agree. This is a tough, tough stretch. Purdue does have the weapons to hurt, to hit uh, Ohio State where it hurts. As you mentioned, the secondary, they're one of the best passing teams in the country if they can protect Aiden O'Connell, which, you know, Ohio State's pass rush is getting better. Uh, if they give O'Connell time, David Bell and other guys can light him up and keep that game close. Brom does love these situations. I had stat I had in the dash. He's 12 and 15 as an underdog. This is a really good record. Uh, has pulled a ton of upsets, three top five teams he has beaten, two of them this year. So he really relishes these situations. And then, yeah, you get past this, and there's, hey, there's two more waiting for you. Uh, Big-time games, big-time atmospheres, big-time opponents there. Uh, the one thing also with Ohio State, 
much difficulty in the red zone lately. They have not been scoring touchdowns. They may be good enough to get away with that, and they're also so talented and explosive. They can score from 40 and 50 yards, too. But in the red zone, their last 10 times they have gotten there, two touchdowns, uh, seven field goals, one turnover on downs, 63 yards, 32 plays, less than two yards per play. Uh, C.J. Stroud has struggled being able to finish drives in that red zone. So there's got so they've got some things that they still need to work on, and and the competition will get harder. One more quick thing, Dan. Uh, it's rare Ohio State plays someone where they don't have the best defensive lineman. George Karloftis is the best defensive lineman in this game. Maybe not long term if some of those young buck Buckeyes grow up, but he is an elite player. He is a top ten pick, and quite frankly, against Michigan. They have a better defensive lineman, too, in Aiden Hutchinson. He's, uh, he's, we've talked about him on the podcast. He's just a complete game record, game plan record, the whole thing. So there's uh, th- those going to be – C.J. Stroud is going to see the best defense – he missed Kayvon Thibodeau earlier in the year. He's going to see some of the best defensive line talent in college football coming right in his grill the next couple of weeks. Yeah, very, very interesting uh, little run for Ohio State. And then they would have, at the end, you know, someone from the Big Ten West – as a title game, like, and they have no margin for a loss. So there's, there's all of that. They just, they can't lose. So they're going to earn it if they're going to, if they're going to make it. All right. The other big 10 game, uh, as this round Robin goes is, uh, Michigan visiting Penn state. It's got to have this one to me of the three games that we're going to define this month. This is the one that's the easiest to get. And that is acknowledging it isn't easy to go into state college and win, but he does not want to be, he doesn't want to be t- uh, nine and two facing Ohio State. He doesn't want to start seven and zero and finish nine and three. Jim Harbaugh is not going to get fired this year, but uh, this is a this is a huge game uh, for Harbaugh. A lot of talk this week because Harbaugh again and things coaches are willing to reveal in press conferences when they usually reveal nothing. <laughs> yes, Harbaugh was willing to to acknowledge after being asked about it, of course, and 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 that just. You know, I don't know what happened. I don't know who asked the question. I don't know anything. But if you don't think there are planted press questions at press conferences, there are. Uh, and I don't know. I literally have no idea if this is a planted press conference. But anytime the thing is, well, somebody asked, who? Who asked, right? You know, anyway, the question was asked, did the Big Ten ever get back to you about the missed calls in the uh, Michigan State game? And Coach Harbaugh absolutely said, oh, yes, I have to be forthcoming about that. And uh, and and said that he was so you know interesting little debate is is uh, my friends at the Drew and Mike show up here is uh, was is is this Harbaugh just being kind of whiny about losing to Michigan State or is he like is he setting a, an excuse for the committee if if if, as if Michigan State wins out they go to the the playoff they go to the playoff Michigan if they win out they could be eleven and one I don't think Harbaugh has that much chess in him. I don't think he can. I don't think he's he's playing like multi-dimensional game here. You know, I don't know. So, how big is this win? And and is, was coach just being an honest guy? Just he's, he's equipped for honesty, I believe he said. He he did say that. He can also be equipped for officiating bitterness on occasion too. So, you know, I mean, I, I we all remember the 2016 Ohio State Michigan epic game that uh, Jim Harbaugh afterwards used the phrase "bitterly disappointed" several times to describe the officiating there. Uh, which actually echoed a Bo Schembechler line from decades earlier. I'm sure he earlier. still is. I'm sure he still uh, is. Yeah, oh, yeah. No doubt about it. So, I, yeah, I'm not sure like you, Dan, whether he's thinking a month down the road or he's just willing to say, uh, yeah, we got screwed. Now the Big Ten's admitted we got screwed. 
Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, Harbaugh's not a, not above petty, right? And I think like the motivation would be more petty than, than some sort of like next level type thinking. I, I just think he's a Michigan guy and losing to Michigan State bores into his soul. He's now 0-2 against Mel Tucker and he wants the world to know it's, you know, not necessarily his fault. And there was some sort of conspiratorial, uh, you know, officiating thing. But yes, Harbaugh, who gives little away. I mean, Every question Jim Harbaugh gets asked in a press conference, he acts like he's surprised he's getting asked the question. Like, what, 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 what's happening here? What's happening here? He's just, <laughs> it's true. A, he's, he's a, yes, it's a, he's a bizarre bird. So, um, it's like, coach, how's the, how, what are your thoughts on the run game today? And he's like stunned at something. Like, we are just after this, this is the post game press conference. I, yes, it's like, I seems like a reasonable podium, inquiry. Yeah, I showed up at this podium <laughs> with a microphone in a room full of media. And I'm stunned that the inquiries keep coming to me. That would be, it was like that in the NFL. I don't remember if he was like, he wasn't as weird at Stanford. I, I remember him just kind of being a little bit weird in the uh, NFL. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird in the NFL. Oh, no. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, not yeah. I'm not discounting the, uh, I'm not discounting the weird of the run uh, game. The run game. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, we it's ran like the... his, I don't like his mind. <laughs> <laughs> goes elsewhere or already is elsewhere or what but it's like he has to get jerked back to focus on whatever was just asked like huh oh yeah we're still at a press conference here aren't we so you get to ask another question i guess i have to answer it okay it's very and strange the michigan beat writers have been trained they're actually very good at it at this point <laughs> to not ask anything off the like it's literally like thoughts on the quarterback today because anything else it's just he's just going to be wandering about and right. it's like so yeah. he'll just acknowledge there was a quarterback and that'll be, uh, <laughs> but not on this, on this, he was clear. He wa it's like, it's like asking coach Mullen how a guy got hurt dancing all of a sudden. Uh, Very forthcoming. So Har Harbaugh won in state college in 15 and then they got thumped in 17, 42 to 13. And then Penn State's went back to back games. They beat him in Ann Arbor and then they obviously beat him. In so for Jim Harbaugh, losing three in a row to Penn State is fairly significant. Like, as you're trying to, like, as you're losing your foothold against your in-state rival, if you're also losing your foothold in the east to Penn State, three in a row is, is pretty significant. So it's a big game for Michigan. That's a, as we know, that is a hard place to play. Noon game, that certainly makes it a little bit easier for uh, for, for for Michigan. But, boy, that's a... That that's a cauldron there, and I think Penn State's actually playing uh, playing pretty well. I think Penn State's a pretty good uh, a pretty good team, especially a good team at home. Well, they've yeah they've gotten Clifford back a little more healthy. He's thrown for yes. three sixty each of the last two games, so you know uh, that that's made the difference. When when he was limited against Illinois and obviously went out against Iowa, Penn State looked pretty darn bad. But with him back to somewhere near hundred percent, there uh, there that's a much tougher game for Michigan. All right, uh, then quickly, let's do this. Uh, college basketball. I, I got a story after this, but uh, college basketball opened Tuesday night with the so-called Champions Classic. Kansas, Michigan State, uh, Duke, and Kentucky starts the season. We'll obviously, like a lot of fans, get more into this as it goes. But what are you looking forward to this season? Obviously, the, the main headline going in is, is the Mike Krzyzewski retirement tour, but you know, there's going to, that, that it's unlikely Duke is a factor in the, for, for the national title this year. We'll see, but if they are great, but if not, there'll be a lot of other storylines. What are you looking forward to Pat? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I will say like the, the K retirement tour will probably get tedious, but I mean, this is a guy that's earned his retirement tour. So, you know, arguably the one or two best coach in the history of his sport. 
it merits watching. But to me, like the fascinating thing to me, and Michael Rosenberg wrote a good story for us at Sports Illustrated on, on this, is the Memphis experiment, where you bring in Imani Bates, you bring in Jalen Duran, two guys that were considered like mega stars, and they come out of high school early. They choose their college together like they're, you know, James Harden and Kevin Durant. And it's Memphis. It's not Duke. It's not Kentucky. It's not Michigan. It's not Michigan State. It's not, you know, there's a lot of other places. You go to a, play for a guy who has a big name, who has never won an NCAA tournament game, hadn't lost one either. He just hadn't been. So, you know, can Penny Hardaway, what can Penny Hardaway do with these guys? How wild is the show going to be there when you've got two guys that are making a lot of money in NIL at age 18? And how is that going? Larry Brown is in the wings back there at age 150 as kind of a de facto maybe X and O coach. Rasheed Wallace is over here on the staff. I mean, Memphis is going to be pretty darn interesting. I I don't know. what you, I think it's either going to go great or it's just going to blow up spectacular. You know, I, I hope so because that's more interesting than just eh, they go eighteen and twelve. So I'm I'm rooting for I'm rooting for twenty nine and one or fourteen and fifteen, and they leave at like they leave in February. The star players. All I can say is guaranteed there will not be a single dull moment with that staff and that roster and trying to get Amani Bates to be a college basketball player. That is going to be a going to be something. <laughs> it's absolutely going to be something. I they. Hope there's a season inside getting filmed. You know, I'll piggyback on that. It was a great story by Rosenberg. And essentially was a bellwether for where the sport is going, Pat, I thought. Where it's like the yes. players are in charge now. Like that was the theme. And those th- those kids basically agreed with it. Like, you know, we're we're in charge now. We're running the show. We're going where we want. We're going literally when we want. Uh, Shaden Sharp, the, the number one player in the next class, is coming to Kentucky in January. Like... The old models and paradigms are getting blown up. There was always reclassification. This isn't all new. It's just moving faster and faster and faster. And the money's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, this is really the first true NIL litmus year. So you got Chet Holmgren at Gonzaga, unbelievable player. We'll be really excited to see how he fits in with kind of that Gonzaga team ethos that Mark Few has developed over the uh, over, over the years there. You've got Paul Banchero at Duke, who may just be the best player in the whole sport. Um, and I would not discount Duke with him as a potential Final Four team to uh, give that Coach K storyline some uh, some some juice come uh, come March. So I, I'll, I'll piggyback off what Pat said. I think how these stars in this new paradigm play on the floor will really be an interesting uh, peak at where the sport goes in the future. And is it a team like Purdue that brings a ton of guys back really good that is still going to end up you know, winning the national title or being in the Final Four, like a Villanova, for example? Or even UCLA kind of has like a gutty team full of returners from, from the Final Four. I, I think UCLA is very good. So I think we're going to see some of those classic themes of new versus old here, which is going to be a lot of fun. But the best thing for the sport is that there's really, really high-end players in the sport, guys you want to watch. Like Tuesday night, we're all looking forward to flipping on the TV and watching these guys. And the sport maybe hasn't had that the, the past couple of years. It's lost some of that. So I really hope for college basketball, this is a jet engine to, to, to get the sport back with some regular season juice. Yeah, should be interesting. All right, uh, quickly on this, uh, I, I, you know, we all are kind of farmers. We're big fans of farmers, at least. <laughs> we all are kind of farmers. Yeah, we're Pat won't even mow his own lawn. Yeah, farmers only. 
Hey, we do have a, like a we we had tomatoes and peppers uh, and some basil. I guess that does make me a farmer, huh? There you go. You won't even mow your lawn or rake your leaves, but you're <laughs> how a many farmer. how many gardeners do you have, Pat? Do you have like a like Multiple. do you have like that, a, they're part of the grounds crew, you know? Yeah, grounds okay. crew. Right, just check. They're on the forty <laughs> estate. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Colin and Donna Craig Brown, Donna and Colin and Donna Craig Brown uh, are farmers. Uh, they hail from Wellington, New Zealand. And uh, they were recently uh, hoeing their garden, which is what you do. Uh, that's an actual industry term. Don't you dirty bastards start thinking something. <laughs> industry term. <laughs> I don't know what these guys do in their personal life, but I'm just saying this is the thing. All I don't right, know what so- industry you're in, but Jeff Banks' girlfriend may be involved. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. The assassin. The, uh, <laughs> the New Zealand assassin. All right. Uh, anyway, they they came upon a, a thing underground. They they started digging it up, and uh, they discovered a giant potato. They had inadvertently grown a giant potato, and the potato weighs seventeen point four pounds. One potato. What? <laughs> yes, a seventeen point four pound potato. Uh, the Guinness Book of World Records has has confirmed as the g- largest potato in the history of Earth. Uh, known records, at least. Uh, the previous was only 11 pounds or so. They said wow. five kilograms. Smash sto- the record. This story's from New Zealand. So it's like five kilograms. So I'm like translating yeah. it. Eh, okay. You know, whatever. I can't do that thing. You math um, Yeah, I'm not doing the, that, that decimal <laughs> system thing. They, they tried to teach us that when we were little, but no. Oh, they did. Uh, they told yeah. us it was coming. It, never it was coming. It was coming. So uh, they've got this enormous potato. And uh, this is the real question I have for you guys. They have given they have given the potato a name, a name. <laughs> it's kind of one of the. I mean, seventeen pounds. You don't just. Uh, I don't know. So they have named their potato Doug. D U G or D O U G? Like we dug it up or D O U G? Good, good line okay. there. No, okay. n- n- Doug. That is the name of their giant potato. So, what I want to know from you, Pat, is if you were to discover a giant potato, what would you name it, if anything? <laughs> wow, what a thought! Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, I think Spud. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a little too obvious. I don't know, but. I don't know. I don't understand Doug. Like, I would not come up with a classic, like, proper name like for a middle-aged white dude's name, just yeah. Doug. <laughs> right. Now, the, the idea of naming a potato is a bit troubling to me, frankly. You know, eating it, sharing it with your neighbors, giving it to a homeless shelter to eat, whatever. But I don't know about naming it, like having it as a pet. I'd name it Tot, like Tater Tot. Oh, tater Tot, yeah. That's my thing. Yeah, that, that's what I thought you were going to ask, Dan, is like, how would you eat it? I'm, I'm a half Irish. I love potatoes. You know, like, would you would you want it mashed? Would you want 17 pounds of mashed potatoes? Would you get like mozzarella cheese and sour cream all over? You need like a swimming pool of sour cream and have it baked? Like whole neighborhood, the whole yeah. town. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how big Wellington is. I'm it's thinking like a nice vodka. Sunday. Everybody digs in for some potato. I'm going straight vodka out of this thing. <laughs> name it Tito. That'd be the best name. For oh, Tito, yeah. <laughs> See, we just had to tease this out a little bit. Now yeah, we had, a, we had a brainstorm. Get your, yeah. get your business together there, uh, Donna and Craig. <laughs> or Donna and Colin. Donna yeah. and Colin Craig Brown. See, the last that? name is throwing me off because it's too many, like, it's two words together. But quite honestly, I don't like these people. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's not much to like other than their gardening prowess, but why, why are you Great naming soil. a potato? Great <laughs> soil, clearly. All right, we'll be back to pick the games this weekend uh, on Thursday for the race for the case. Please continue to subscribe and uh, share us on social media, and we will talk to you later.